Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The UN Security Council has again delayed a vote on a draft resolution on Gaza. It's reported that the US is looking to amend the language of the resolution as it continues to back its key ally, Israel. As the death toll in the region mounts and poll figures drop, is Joe Biden losing his political and moral authority? Gardaí say they weren't officially told about plans to house asylum seekers at the Galway Hotel before it was burned down this weekend. The notification was obviously through local sources and then just the evidence of work being carried out and two-tiered economy. Central Bank reports suggest that robust economy with an easing of inflation next year. But is it being felt on the ground? We speak to one business owner who's been forced to shut her popular cafe. The UN Security Council has again delayed a vote to suspend hostilities in Gaza. The vote was originally scheduled to take place yesterday, but was pushed back over objections by the United States to the wording of the text. The US previously vetoed a resolution calling for a ceasefire in the region. As it stands, nearly 20,000 people have been killed and nearly 2 million displaced as a result of Israeli bombardments. The majority of those killed were women and children, according to the Gaza Ministry of Health. But tonight we ask, has US President Joe Biden lost political and moral authority through his continued support of the Israeli government? And in light of new poll numbers, is he facing a tough 2024 election? With me to discuss this are Fine Gael Senator Martin Conway and Harry Brown, senior lecturer in the School of Media at TU Dublin. We're also joined on Skype by Dan Mulhall, former Irish ambassador to the US. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. We want to come first to this vote that has been pushed back again, um, Dan. How much weight does it carry, firstly, being a UN Security Council vote? We know the vote has not taken place, but we know it was vetoed last week. There have been amendments to the language. Now it's been pushed back again. How important is it? Well, the UN is not perfect by any means, but it's the only international body we have that has universal membership. So it is important what the UN does. I think it's encouraging um, for the for the point of view of those who want to see peace and 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 uh, a resolution of of this terrible conflict in Gaza. Um, I think it's a good sign that 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 the United States is now clearly working towards being able to abstain or to vote in favour of this resolution. Diplomacy is all about trying to find the words to pin down um, concepts. And clearly the United States is under a lot of pressure domestically, also from its allies, many of whom have taken a stronger position in criticising Israel over the last uh, week or so. And all of these things, I think, have fed into the United States coming under pressure, both domestically and internationally, to uh, put pressure on Israel to... Uh, to, uh, to um, um, 
to change its strategy in Gaza and to um, um, move into a different phase with maybe a less aggressive uh, military action being taken but, by Israel, because that's really ha- what has to happen if, if, if peace is to come to the Middle East. I want to ask you about the watered-down language of the text to try to secure US backing on it. Um, suspension rather than cessation of hostilities. Originally it was cessation. Now they're still arguing around suspension. Uh, does all this watered-down language actually, you know, are we going to be presented with a very weak resolution that's not going to hold much weight at all? Well, that's what diplomats have to do, is to find language that can move things forward. I believe myself that a suspension of hostilities would be a positive thing because a suspension can turn into a cessation. But if you don't get any uh, break in the hostilities, then uh, things just go go back to worse, which is what's been happening over the last uh, couple of months in Gaza. So we do need some kind of movement to put pressure on Israel to change its uh, track and to um, be more open to uh, a more limited military operation and also to a peaceful uh, settlement emerging from this terrible period in Israel and, and Palestine. Well, that was my next question. I mean, what happens if it is passed with this language? We know that Israel is not on the UN Security Council. Uh, where does it go from here? Because well, we know from experience. We know from experience um, what Israel thinks about the UN, what they think about you know structures like International Criminal Court and other mechanisms. Well, the only country in the world that can influence Israel is the United States, and I would assume. I mean, I'm I'm pretty certain that there is strong pressure being applied to Israel at the moment by the United States to at least go along with a resolution of this kind. It might be watered down somewhat, but nonetheless, if Israel were to accept this resolution and if there were to be a suspension of hostilities, that would be a positive move. It would save lives in Gaza, which has to be regarded as a good thing. It would also open the way forward towards some kind of political process that can move the situation from its from its current dire state to a hopefully better one in the future. Because we do need to see a peace prospect emerging from this terrible period in Gaza. And, you know, remember in Northern Ireland, remember how many times we had false dawns, you know, we got to a certain point and then things uh, fell apart. We had to keep going. And the same is true in Israel and Gaza. However horrific this whole thing is, and it is genuinely horrific, and I mean, it's very difficult to watch what's going on at the moment in Gaza, but, but, uh, but the only solution is to find a peaceful settlement, something that both sides can rally around and with pressure from the United States, I'm hoping that we'll see Israel now changing tack and moving into a different phase of its um, operations in Gaza. And just to bring um, our studio panel in here now, and Harry Brown, when you hear that and what Dan has to say, that this is how diplomacy works, uh, what was originally being, being put to the UN Security Council was around a cessation of hostilities. The US <laughs> have said no to that now, it's about a suspension. But the vote that was due to take place yesterday and then rescheduled for tonight is now looking like it's going to take place tomorrow. So there's still a lot of wrangling about around the language. But do you think it's a positive step? I think, as, as Dan says, the fact that they're still talking means that the United States wants to not veto this resolution. It wants to either abstain or support mm. a resolution. The danger is it's watered down on both sides t- to such an extent that it's fairly meaningless. Let's not forget, we've had a suspension already. We didn't need a UN resolution to get it. There was a suspension in order for prisoners and hostages to be exchanged previously. And then after a few days of that, 
the, uh, the fighting resumed and Israel's attacks on civilians in Gaza were no less than they had been previously. In other words, a suspension does not necessarily build into a cessation, into a, into a lasting peace. But do, do you believe that there is, and, 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 and we, we can see it, that there is mounting pressure on Israel now and if a suspension is, there, is something... Is there from the United States? I think the United States wants to be seen to have achieved something. Well, what we've seen suspension, from Britain... Yeah. You know, yeah. France, Germany, who, who, are, who are pushing towards that way, it, yeah. they have shifted their position. They've, the, the rhetoric has shifted very slightly. Mm. I agree with you. And, and I do think that, but a, a, a mere suspension is also in Israel's interest. The hostage situation is, in Israel is very politically challenging for the Israeli government. Um, they've just had a disastrous uh, encounter where they killed three of their own hostages in spite of them being half naked and waving a white flag, which tells you something about the, the way the rules of engagement are being uh, uh, observed or otherwise in Gaza. So there's a real, um, I, th I think that to put too much hope in this when really it's largely a political move to make sure the United States feels on side with its allies and on side with Joe Biden's electorate. All right, okay. Uh, how do you see it, um, Martin? I suppose the, the, the change of the language here to push the push to get this uh, veto through, uh, this not get vetoed at the UN Security Council, but, you know, a watering down of what was originally intended. Yeah, and look, I think the pendulum has very much shifted uh, to uh, a pro-Palestinian, uh, pro-ceasefire, pro-cessation. Um, what's happening uh, in the Security Council at the moment, I think, is welcome. Um, you know, I prefer to see a text agreed, albeit watered down, than no agreement. Uh, because every step, as Dan has already said, uh, every step is a step in a positive direction. And if we have a cessation, uh, that may lead to uh, a more long-term ceasefire. So what and, Harry has to say about this, just, you know, politically, you know, keeping both sides happy as far as the US is concerned, but actually that a suspension rather than a cessation is in Israel's interest. Absolutely. And I think uh, Mary Robinson put it very well this morning when she said that um, uh, America is losing a lot of political capital and respect throughout the world uh, because of their, uh, I suppose, lack mm. of using their influence over Israel uh, to, uh, I suppose, bring uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, to a situation where he realises that, that, that what he's doing uh, is not uh, uh, appropriate. I mean, look at everyone is seen under television screens every night of the week, the killing that's gone on, uh, innocent people, mm. children, uh, women, uh, you know, innocent victims uh, being yeah. literally slaughtered. So I, I, I think what's happening, I think also what happened at the UN General Assembly uh, is very important, where, uh, you know, I think what, 13 or 14 uh, European countries voted for a permanent ceasefire, including Ireland. And the Taoiseach and the Taunished uh, have been front and centre in looking for a permanent ceasefire. All right. OK. Uh, um, Dan, to, to what extent do you think this has been played uh, diplomatically by Biden? Do you think he, he's playing um, a good game here? Well, I think he clearly, uh, in the beginning, he went in very hard and was 100% supportive of Israel. Since then, we've seen a change in the American position, not a complete change, but there has been a shift. And I've no doubt 
but that there's been heavy pressure uh, quietly behind the scenes between Washington and Tel Aviv to try and rein in the Israelis and to try and persuade them uh, to uh, soften their approach so as to uh, help Joe Biden in what is a very difficult electoral cycle coming up. If you look at the opinion polls at the moment, they're pretty frightening from the point of view of the Biden administration and the Democratic Party because even in relation to the handling of the situation in Gaza, more Americans in the recent opinion poll believe that Donald Trump would do better in managing the situation in Gaza than Joe Biden. And that's a pretty uh, serious affair. Uh, I was teaching the last few months at an American university, and I can tell you that young people in America are uh, were in 20, 2020 very strong supporters of Joe Biden. The latest opinion poll suggests that, that, uh, that among young people now, Donald Trump is more popular. So the stakes are incredibly high. And that's why I think the Americans will need to pull out the stops in the next few weeks to to try to improve the standing of President Biden among his supporters who are more progressive and also younger people who tend to be more sympathetic to the Palestinian right. cause. Before we get to that, I just want to, uh, before we get to the details around that poll, because they are very interesting and in what could be, you know, that demographic shift and um, you know, where allegiances are moving perhaps in the States. But just on, uh, you know, the push and the behind-the-scenes pressure, I mean, what sort of pressure is being brought to bear on Israel? Benjamin Netanyahu saying Israel's military would fight to the end. They do appear to be acting with complete impunity here. Like, despite what we are hearing from the US, the US officials that, you know, pressing Israel to exercise some restraint. What restraint are they exercising? Well, I mean, um, you know, you have to look at this as a process. Clearly, in America, uh, there's a very strong support for Israel across the board. That's one of the, the, you know, the principles of American foreign policy is strong support for Israel. And Joe Biden has that particular point of view very strongly indeed. But I think that within the Democratic Party, uh, things have shifted somewhat. And there are people uh, who would be in vulnerable areas where they maybe are depending on the votes of people from different backgrounds who may be more instinctively sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. As I said, younger people are in that category. So we haven't seen any any major shift in Israeli um, attitudes to date, but I do think that the uh, pressure is ratcheting up on them. And I, I do believe that we will see some change coming about uh, pushed by the Americans, who, as I say, are the only uh, country in the world that can actually influence Israel effectively. And interesting that it could be down to sort of poll ratings and prospects for election prospects rather than anything else that will make uh, Biden move on this. That New York Times poll, by the way, shows a 33% approval rating for Biden over his handling of the Middle East. And it finds that more people, as Dan was saying, think Trump would do a better job. And nearly as many Americans want the Israeli military to continue its campaign as wanted to stop. So we are seeing a change there in that more people would, yeah. would like to see... Yeah. Um, Israel's campaign stop, which does yeah. show a shift, um, Harry. From your point of view, is there a change in how people are viewing this war, getting their information and sure. drawing their opinion? Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, I'd just say the United States could cut aid to Israel. It could condition aid to Israel. It could make certain kinds of weapons uh, uh, usable only in certain circumstances. It won't do that. It hasn't done that. Congress, as Don suggested, Congress is overwhelmingly... Uh, pro-Israel. And so the politics that we're seeing in that poll don't 
as yet translate into politics that really matter in the White House and matter on Capitol Hill. But the poll, yes, does indicate a really dramatic shift, you know, a shift. I have four Jewish um, family members who are college age kids. Three of them are very strongly anti-Zionist. Uh, and the other one considers themselves a, a peace activist as well without, within a, 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 a broadly more pro-Israel position. So that, that change is happening dramatically. And the fact that people are saying, even Trump, young people, people who are you know, broadly on the left, people who have internationalist sympathies are saying, even Trump would be better than this, is really a remarkable development. Whether it translates into votes in next November, and let's face it, you know, young people, college kids, you know, people uh, of color don't necessarily vote in the same numbers. But Michigan is a state that Joe Biden really can't afford to lose. And there are a lot of Palestinians in Michigan. It has to be remembered as well, Claire, that um, Hamas is a terrorist organization and it's uh, regarded by the international community as a terrorist organization. What happened on October the 7th when over a thousand uh, Israelis was killed was mm -hmm. an incredibly horrific event. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, uh, as time has passed over the last number of weeks, uh, the Israeli response uh, in Gaza has been completely and totally disproportionate. And as I said already, the pendulum is swinging uh, in a different direction now. And I do believe that um, uh, common sense eventually will prevail in the Biden administration. And I hope uh, that he yeah. does use his influence the same way as our country, our Taoiseach and our Tanishta have been front and centre yeah. in terms of leading uh, and we the do European the, And we response. consistently, we consistently yeah. uh, hear yes. it from those within Fine Gael. Mm. We consistently hear it from government that we, you know, we stand up, we will call for a ceasefire, yes. we will do all of those things. We also have really strong ties um, with, with US politicians and with Joe Biden, who loves to come for um, a visit here and, you know, catch up with his... Irish, um, his Irish roots and all of that. And we, we talk about that and we talk yeah. about that special connection. So the question is, are we, are we using our ties and our connection to push for action in this regard? Dan would, put, uh, would uh, shine an awful lot more of a mm. light on this, but I would assume uh, that uh, our diplomats and um, people like Geraldine uh, Mason and people like uh, um, uh, people in our diplomatic corps uh, are uh, articulating the Irish uh, position. Right. And okay. clearly Biden is connected with Ireland. He has very deep roots in Mayo. He knows uh, the way the Irish people uh, uh, are on this particular yeah, issue. But do you think on the Middle East he cares what Irish people think? Um, I would sincerely hope he cares about what we think on all issues. Uh, and right. certainly well, we're continuing to allow the use yeah. of the airport in, in Martin's home county to facilitate, including movements of potentially of weapons from the United States. I think it's very, no, no, it's very important that I make this point that absolutely no weapons uh, uh, that are being used in Gaza have been transported to Shannon Airport. Absolute, and I checked as late as this evening, and that is absolutely the case. So I can stand here, I can sit here categorically and Are say there, uh, that Shannon Airport has not been used in any circumstances. Martin, uh, um, who do you check with on that? Uh, well, the Department of Foreign Affairs gave me a briefing. Uh, I got a briefing through the Finnegal Press Office that that is the case. Right. Now, the, the use of Shannon Airport by the American military is a different issue. I have a position on that. I don't, and, and it's probably counter to Finnegal. I don't believe that we really should be facilitating that. But that's a separate issue. Okay. But it's very important that the people who are watching here tonight know that there is no weapons uh, being transported through Shannon Airport to Gaza 
or the Middle East. All right. Uh, Dan, to bring you in here on, I suppose, manoeuvres behind the scenes and if there is any uh, Irish influence being brought to bear in Washington. Well, look, I mean, Israel has the most effective lobby of any country in the world in Washington, D.C. It's, it's an incredibly impressive operation, which is well able to 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 look after and defend Israeli uh, positions. Um, uh, we have our own lobby, but the lobby that we have is mainly directed to Irish issues uh, at the moment about Brexit and uh, Northern Ireland and so forth. You know, the legacy bill, all of those things. So, uh, and, and by the way, I, I, I've spoken a number of times about these issues to Irish American politicians, and they always make the point that Jewish American politicians over the last 50 years and more have been always very supportive of Ireland. And that is one of the reasons why I think Irish Americans tend to be careful, Irish American politicians tend to be careful uh, not to be too critical of Israel in cases like this. They're, they're uh, walking a fine line diplomatically, you would say there. Is that what we are doing as a country as well? Well, I mean, every country... As in, country, there are calls for us to step up um, to, to do, I suppose, more action rather than talking around sanctions and other things um, when it comes to Israel. But, but do you believe that, that I, I, walking I, that I line think, diplomatically is important? I, I, don't, I, I think we have to remain in the game. And if we go uh, out to one, too far out to one end of the spectrum, then we lose whatever influence we may have. I'm assuming that our diplomats in Washington and in uh, New York and the UN are talking behind the scenes to the Americans and others to try and encourage movement towards agreement on this resolution, which would be an important first step towards what hopefully will be a better future for Gaza and Israel. Harry, you're shaking your head there. Uh, yeah, no, it just, it just, uh, it just, it just seems, di it seems a little unlikely, but it's also, it's kind of a, it's a vision of politics that I understand that a, dip, a diplomat would have. But I do think that, uh, you know, things are changing. Things are changing in that old relationship, that kind of New York Paul relationship between Irish American politicians and Jewish American politicians and Congress people who kiss up to both of them. Mm. I think that's all, um, you know, that's a that's it's a different electorate now, or it's becoming a different electorate, and, and I think it's a, an electorate that's more in tune with the views of the people of the world, not just the people in. Washington, and you think DC. lobbying will change in accordance with that? I think it will eventually, but I think that the that it's up to it's up to people on the ground, including here in Ireland and elsewhere, to continue to demonstrate as we've been doing for a genuine peace in the Middle East and not just a suspension. And as a country, I think we, we now have the confidence to, to be able to say to the Americans that we don't agree with you on this. Uh, this is our position. Mm. Uh, we are leaders within Europe. We are leading uh, the call for a, a cessation and a ceasefire in Europe. Uh, the Taoiseach, uh, uh, on behalf of Ireland, along with Belgium and a couple of other countries, uh, co-signed uh, the motions that went before yeah. the EU Council right. last week. So okay. we're leading the way in terms of Europe. So we certainly, uh, we have great and super friendships and uh, ties with America. But we're not afraid to call it out when we okay. think it's wrong as well. All right. OK. Uh, and we'll have to see where what happens with that UN Security Council vote now potentially scheduled to take place tomorrow. We'll have to take a break. But up next, the Garda Commissioner says Garthi were given no official word about plans to house asylum seekers at the hotel in Galway. That was subsequently burnt down. Stay with us.
Welcome back. The Garda Commissioner says a major investigation is now underway into the fire at a hotel in Galway over the weekend that was due to accommodate asylum seekers. Drew Harris was speaking. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. After a meeting of the policing authority today, he also says the Garthi were given no official word about the plan to house up to 70 people in the hotel. Instead, they learned about it from local sources and from councillors. The notification was obviously through local sources and then just the evidence of work being carried out. And um, But I think from our part, we obviously have a duty to prevent crime. Uh, we have a duty to provide uh, crime prevention advice uh, and we have a duty then to assess what the risk might be to those uh, living and working in such premises. Well, I'm joined again by Senator Martin Conway and by Harry Brown. Um, to come to you, Martin, on this, Drew Harris saying even the guards didn't know about the plans. What's going on here? Uh, it's simply not good enough that Angarda uh, Shikana are notified as a matter of, uh, uh, pro, uh, as a matter of form. Uh, when um, there's going to be uh, an international uh, uh, direct provision centre established in an area, I would have assumed uh, incorrectly, obviously, uh, that that would have happened. Um, we are given. Okay, who do you blame for that? Well, look, what I, I, there's no point in getting into the blame game, but officially. Well, there is because well, the guards don't know, well, the, gu the guards aren't yeah. aware of a plan yeah. to house people yeah. in a hotel in a townland where we've seen what has happened in the past right around this country when attempts to do so are made. The Department of, uh, of Integration uh, under Minister Roderick O'Gorman is responsible for the communication uh, of um, uh, these matters to local politicians, to the local community. I would have assumed to Angarda Shikana but I sincerely hope that that's going to change now. I mean, so would, should I, that, I would, would that have gone through the, just on the mechanics yeah, of this yeah. kind of thing when you're talking about communication? Should that mm. have gone to the Department of Justice, or, or you know, what way should it have all been worked out to ensure that all the stakeholders, if you like, are informed? The lead department, uh, when it comes to these issues, is the Department of Integration. Um, the Department of Integration is the lead department, uh, and it's their responsibility. Uh, they're in charge of communications as well, and it's their responsibility to communicate with local agencies. Angarda uh, Shikana is a key mm -hmm. local agency. I would have thought from their experience in McGowan House and Clare, in my own constituency, where there was a road blockaded for a number of days, 
uh, by local residents who had uh, concerns whether those were legitimate. Well, or it was not. a month-long blockade. Yeah, it, was, it went on for a number of yeah. weeks, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, thankfully, there's no blockade there now. Mm. There's uh, a number of residents living in McGowan House. Most of them are working, and um, you know those issues. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, there are a number of residents, but probably not the same number that was anticipated no, for, for the residents. No, I, I believe it's in the region of thirty or forty. Okay, so um, interesting that you say yeah. that there yeah, was. But, but the, point, say, the point, the point is. Long, you know, blockade. Yeah. So, uh, there were protesters boarding buses, yes. conducting headcounts, totally acting as authorities down there. Which was there totally was a, there was a failure wrong. to act. Then, yeah. would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, that that should have been dealt with a lot sooner than it was dealt with. Okay, and uh, you think that now we're seeing the fallout from that? Um, yes, we are. And I would have thought that lessons would have been learned from the experience in County Clare and the experience in other parts of Dublin, uh, 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 of the country, I think there was a problem in Wicklow, there was a problem in Dublin, where there was damage done to uh, proposed uh, direct provision centres. Uh, so the least I would have expected, to be quite frank about it, is that Angarda Shikana would be one of the first agencies to be notified okay. uh, of that, a direct provision centre. Is that the centre. key lesson that you think could no, have been I, learned from there when you're saying lessons could have been yeah, learned? There's a lot, there's, there's a lot of lessons. There's a lot of lessons. And back over the summer uh, when the McGowan House issue, or uh, the Q2 of the year, when the McGowan House issue was there, we were told that there was going to be new protocols and procedures when it came to communication. My understanding is that the first communication that my colleague Sean Kine uh, down in Galway and others received was on Friday evening uh, that there was going to be uh, a, a number of uh, 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 people coming to a centre uh, the following week. So that's in your it. view, that's not adequate no, communication? No, it's, it, it's not good enough because I think there's, look, at we've seen what's happened in Galway, which is deplorable, uh, but what's needed is uh, an, a, an adequate lead in time and a respectable okay. lead in time where the agencies can engage and it's it, like it, it's it, frustrating, it, Martin. It's My totally question is, 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 well, is Fine Gael always learning lessons? No. Well, look, at it, as I said already, uh, uh, um, this is the Department of Integration. Uh, okay, I so have, now it's the Greens. No, it's, I have been critical of the system and look at it, its collective government responsibility. I've been critical of the system for a long time. I've been critical of the protocols when, it came, yeah. when it's come to communication. And you're a member of a government party. I am and I haven't been, I haven't been behind the curve when it comes right. to, in the first instance, defending the need to provide accommodation to people who are coming to our country to seek sanctuary, mm -hmm. which is not easy sometimes, but it's the right thing to do. But also... Uh, the, the state has a responsibility to engage with people and provide information. All right. But also people do not have the right to veto. Okay. Who lives in it does area. sound a little bit like a broken record. We heard from the Taoiseach accepting that, you know, communication needs to be better around all of mm. this. But, you know, as we've as we've talked about, we had we had Clare, we had other parts of the country of ongoing situations in places like Drumahair and Leitrim as well. Mm. Harry, what do you think? could be uh, learned from all of this? And where do you think the failure lies when it comes to what happened in Galway at the well, weekend? Look, I mean, I don't think it's going to come as a massive surprise to any of your uh, viewers that the Irish state is characterised by a lack of joined up thinking in its bureaucracy, mm -hmm. uh, poor communications. This has been a, a familiar pattern in this government and previous governments that are we have a, quite a dysfunctional um, kind of communications within Isn't that basic apparatus. stuff, though, informing it is, the guards? It is pretty basic stuff. But at the, out from but at the same time, you know, instead. we had a situation for a long time where the guards were sort of taking a softly, softly approach of mm. protest paradigm rather than a security paradigm in relationship to these. And now, to a certain extent, 
all of our rhetoric has kind of gone all the way in the other direction. That the, that the security, security, security is the only. Okay, well, someone, this is a political actually, problem. Interesting, Gary. Political interesting on this one, Harry, because someone who would uh, I, I would say very much uphold the right for a person to protest. Absolutely. What do yes. you then make of the Garda strategy that was criticised as being quite softly mm. uh, a soft-handed approach to it, um, so as not to fall into the playbook of the far right? That's what Drew Harris was saying at the time. Um, do you think that's backfired? And do you think there should have been a different approach? No, I don't think there should have been a different approach, actually. You know, I, I think that obviously it's the job of police to make sure that criminality is investigated, prevented, uh, prosecuted where it takes place, etc. of course. And a, a more, uh, if you like, a scrupulous approach to it, a more careful watching of the situation and, and better communication, absolutely should have been in place. But we're not going to police and censor this problem way. It's a political problem. And it's a political problem that a government of landlords and the lackeys of landlords has got a real problem in trying to enforce because they have left rural Ireland hollowed out. They've left urban Ireland hollowed out. They've established a situation in this country where we have plenty of room and plenty of derelict buildings and plenty of land and our people and the people here seeking international protection could easily be housed by a state that was willing to take that on. You had Rory Hearn in the studio here last week talking about the housing crisis and really brilliantly doing so. And if we understand that it's a joined up problem with a government that is failing, everyone you know, and that and is trying to do, like, is handing out tents to people okay. seeking international I, I want to bring you. In, I want to bring you in on that, um, yeah. Martin. Like, okay, specifically on the, 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 the number of unaccommodated international protection applicants, it now stands at 259. Now, 70, I, I, I don't know where those people are who were due to yeah. be at the, at the hotel in Galway, but that's 70 more people that maybe have not are not being accommodated right more, now. 70 of those 250 would have been accommodated down in Connemara, uh, but for the absolute scandalous vandalism that took place over the weekend. All right. Uh, well, what do you say about the broader issue to what Harry is saying, that if you, you know, really worked mm. at accommodation, Ireland is not full. No. It's perhaps that you're just not housing people when you could be. Ireland is not full, absolutely not. But we do have a housing crisis. Um, we are accommodating the bones of 100,000 people mm. between Ukrainians and international uh, people seeking international protection. And we're doing no, it... When it comes to vacant homes and, and, yes. and, and, and other and, properties like, look, that there's, could there's be a whole, There's a whole suite of measures out, out there in terms of Creekona, uh, where the government are providing significant grants to people who have cottages, who have derelict buildings, who have vacant buildings. Uh, to do them up. It's not always straightforward. If you go into a village uh, and you look at the number of vacant buildings, sometimes there's people waiting for wills to be uh, 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 processed and people are in nursing homes and so on. So it's very easy to turn around and do a unilateral count of the number of uh, buildings in a particular area that are vacant. Uh, when you actually do a, a deep dive and drill down, uh, there's many reasons for that. But absolutely more can be done and more needs to be done. And there's a lot of vacant uh, uh, old hotels and properties around the country that could easily be turned into accommodation both for Irish and for people uh, from abroad who are seeking sanctuary in this country. All right, although uh, we see what happens when attempts are made to do that yeah. though. Yeah, well, I mean, is there a fear that we're going to, are we going to, do you believe that we should see a new <laughs> approach and a new strategy? You've mentioned about communications, but just no. final point on this, that, that it really is being thought about how, how we are handling this, how we're doing yeah, this, and not inflaming a situation. Uh, Claire, we're in a new space now. The, uh, the far right um, 
uh, are, are well organized, they're articulate, they're using social media uh, in a very effective way. Uh, there's more involved, uh, there's influences from abroad. Yeah. Uh, but there's and, also, there's also this, this, was, this seemed to yeah. be quite local community level, what, what yeah. happened in Galway at the weekend. We don't know how many people from outside Absolutely. came in and, and to unfortunately, protest, you know, when, when, there's inf when there's information okay. put up on the internet okay. and on social media, uh, people uh, uh, obviously okay. get a fa false sense of information, fa false feed of information. All right. Uh, and what we saw at the weekend, it has to be said, uh, was deplorable. And okay. what we need to see is um, a, 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 okay. a, a greater emphasis by government in telling people okay. earlier and right. creating protocols to ensure okay. that... Uh, there will, we, that doesn't happen again. We'll have to, we'll have to leave um, that conversation there for now. Coming up after the break, we speak to a business owner who was forced to shut her popular Dublin cafe. Do stay with us. Welcome back. This weekend, a popular Dublin cafe closes doors for the last time. Kale and Cocoa, a popular vegetarian spot in Stony Batter, was forced to shut amid mounting costs and tightening margins. Its owner, Rebecca Feely, joins us now. You're very welcome to the programme, Rebecca, and we do appreciate it um, coming so, so soon after the cafe closure. So tell us, when did you make this decision, which must, must have been an incredibly difficult one, that you had to shut down the business? Um, yeah, I probably had been deliberating over it for the last year, but only really in the last three or four months I kind of made the decision to close. And, and why did you have to make that call? Um, it was really a combination of a lot of things. I think a big part of it was just the stress of running um, a small business in this economy at the moment. And I think the other part was knowing going into next year there was just more difficulty coming with costs increasing, minimum wage going up and the effects of inflation starting to be felt amongst consumers. So um, it just felt a bit like it was never ending or there wasn't an end in sight. Mm -hmm. So I really needed to make a call. Was business good? Yeah, in, in general, business has been good. You know, my revenue has been really good. It's been going up each year. But the problem is that costs are also going up um, every year. And I think just in the last two or three months, we're starting to notice that people are starting to feel the pinch. And I've definitely seen sales drop a little bit. And from talking to other people in the industry, I think they're starting to notice it. And people are starting to become a little bit more price sensitive, mm. whereas... So they before, might get the coffee, but they mightn't get the add-on. Yeah. They mightn't stay for the meal. Or you start to have people, you know, complaining when you do increase your prices. Whereas before, I felt people were quite understanding because they knew you know, your costs are going up. We do hear a lot as well um, from government, whenever we've government on, about the supports that are given to small business, how important it is to see them supported and um, the various grants that are available and the measures that have been put in place to try and, you know, fight off this cost of living crisis. Have you benefited from grants or short-term loans or things that can help you get through this time? Do you feel enough has been done? Um, not really, no, to be honest. Um, I know there was the, the T-Best scheme that was supposed to help with um, the increases in electricity costs. But to be honest, from talking to small business owners, it really seems like it's actually the bigger companies that benefited from that the most. Um, I think I got 300 euro from that scheme in total um, for like 
over a year's worth of increased ele electricity costs. Mm. And other than that, there hasn't really been much else done to support small businesses. Obviously, when your business closes, people also lose their jobs. Yeah. An incredibly difficult thing mm. to do, especially now in the run up to Christmas. How has it been for your staff, obviously for you personally? Um, it was very sad. I think, like in fairness to them, they're very understanding and very sweet about it. I think they do, you know, I'm in the cafe a lot. They do see how hard I work and how much I've been trying to make it work. Um, and they're also just lovely people in general. Um, but they're all very sad mm. to see it go. And, you know, now they're in a position where they're having to look for other jobs. All right. OK, mm. well, um, let's just talk about the broader picture and where businesses like you fit into this economic outlook um, mm. that we are hearing about today, because the latest central bank report says there's been some softening in the multinational based economic data, but says that the domestic economy is remaining robust and will uh, going into 2024 stay in reasonable shape. And I'm joined on Skype by Stephen Kinsler, Professor of Economics at the University of Limerick. Thank you for joining us on the programme tonight, Stephen. Um, we're hearing a lot about a two-tier economy and we've heard from Rebecca what Rebecca had to say about having to shut her business at the weekend just in the run-up to Christmas, a loss of jobs, very difficult for her uh, personally and professionally and for all her staff. Is this a signal of the two-tier economy? I mean, how do you think domestically we're faring? Well, I, I think the first thing to say is um, to Rebecca and to her staff, I'm, I'm sorry this has happened and I hope this isn't the last time you take a risk and set up a business. Um, the reason that we have an economy and um, that it's delivered so successfully for everybody is people like you actually taking these risks. Um, so while it didn't work out this time, I sincerely hope it, it, that you, that you, um, you, you, you look into 2024 and you actually uh, find a, a new venture um, for, for everyone because it's people like you that create the jobs, um, that pay the taxes, that do everything for us. So uh, you know, to your to your point, Claire, about what happens to a to an economy that is experiencing uh, one part of it, which is the multinational um, um, sector, um, which is essentially two bits. That there's a technology bit and there's a pharma bit. Both of them are having a bit of a bad year. Um, and then you have the other part, which is the, which is the, the the real economy or the domestic economy, the part that Rebecca and her staff are a part of. Um, the, the, the multinational sector is has had a bad year, but it's looking like it's going to rebound in 2024. Um, there's two big things that's going to that, that the central bank this week really pointed to. The first is that inflation, which had, has been dogging all of us for so long, is going to fall off. So the estimate um, for next year is that it'll be 2.3%. So roughly about where the central bank was. This year it was about 5% and last year was 8.1%. So it's really falling rapidly. The other thing that's going to happen is because that inflation rate is falling, we're going to start seeing um, interest rates moderating, which means that the price of everything is going to fall a little bit too. So that's going to help. Um, but overall, um, given our economy is deeply dependent on the multinational sector, um, particularly for corporation taxes. Mm -hmm. If the two-tier economy really starts stuttering, even though we have this good news coming, um, it, it could mean uh, for negative headwinds for budget 2025. Yeah, I'm interested though in sentiment and what Rebecca was saying about how much people are willing to pay and really noticing price increases. And when you see what the central bank is looking at, and the economic mood that's out there, 
is there is there is there a difference and is it the mood or the sentiment that's influencing the spending here the most important thing about most economies claire is that your your feeling about the future guides your behavior today which then changes the future um most of the uh, forecasts that the central bank has shows that they, they think the personal consumption expenditure is going to rise next year it's going to be 3.8 percent which is actually higher than this year so they actually think that people are going to spend more um, they also think that people are people's wages are going to rise this year it rose by three and a half percent it's going to rise by five percent next year so that we will see people with a bit more money in their pockets and remember inflation won't rise as quickly um, now I know economists come on these, these 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 programs all the time, and we lash out these numbers like you know, and it's always like an a partridge and a pear tree at the end of it. But in general, the 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 forecast is that there's going to be a softening in the economy, but it won't be to the detriment, if you like, of the the the. Uh, the regular real domestic part of the economy. It's much more the multinational export sector that uh, everyone's more worried about. So in that sense, sentiment is probably less important um, than the overall um, macroeconomic drivers, things like the global interest rate, what happens in China and the Middle East and so forth. All right. OK, um, Martin, to bring you in on this, um, I mean, to go back to what Rebecca's feeling and, and the job losses ahead of Christmas and mm. She's not the only business that is really feeling the pinch at the moment. She's not the only person. I mean, the cost of living crisis is, is still with us to a large extent. But what do you say to her who feels, you know, she hasn't got much in the way of, of supports for small business. Um, and yet we're seeing this very sort of buoyant economy and, you know, the, the outlook being fairly positive for the new year. There seems to be a real distinction between the two, with small businesses falling through the cracks. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to say to Rebecca is I'm sorry that she's in this situation. Uh, as somebody myself who had to close a business over the years, um, I, I know what it's like. And I just want to admire her for her dignity uh, and the way she's carrying herself through this. And there will be opportunities in the future. Uh, I have absolutely no doubt about that. And look, there's a whole myriad of, of reasons why uh, businesses are, are struggling. I mean, the, the increase in the minimum wage uh, is the right thing to do from a government perspective. It's helping the most vulnerable. Um, the, the sick pay scheme that's been introduced, again, it's the right thing to do from a government perspective. Um, Government can't resolve all of the difficulties and challenges okay. that businesses are facing, but there is coming in the new year uh, an increased support uh, for business in terms of it's a rates-based uh, repayment. So if somebody's paying five thousand euros in rates, uh, there will be a grant of two and a half thousand to help them with the increased cost right. okay. uh, 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 of doing business. But look, at, there, there's a whole myriad. Uh, there, there's many stakeholders in this. I had somebody coming into my office last week. Uh, yeah. who is out of business simply because their landlord has increased the rent dramatically, has doubled the rent. Uh, All right, so okay. landlords have a role and to that, play and in that's this a as well. Other, Absolutely. And, that's, and that is a whole yeah. other discussion, but, but briefly yeah. on that, and just yeah. on, 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 I suppose, the students that you're teaching. Yeah. Rebecca's place is right down the road from our campus, and my students love it. You know, and the, um, but my students are feeling the pinch. They're, they are. And, you know, I have children who are young adults who can't live in Dublin mm. because of all the costs that are associated with the city. You know, and I think that it's really part of what we were talking about in the previous sector of, of um, a cafe like this should be part of the fabric of a normal European city. 
But the combination of the way the multinational sector has driven up prices, the cost of housing, the, um, you know, the, the necessary wage increases that go along with that mean that it doesn't work. And it really has to. There has to be a way to make it better. All right. Well, Rebecca, we wish you the very best of luck in the new year. And we hope that, um, you know, whatever new venture you embark on goes very well for you. So we do appreciate you coming on the programme tonight. We'll have to leave it there. And my thanks to Harry, to Martin, to Stephen, to everyone who's been on the programme. Uh, have, um, you can find us on Instagram and on TikTok. But from all the late team here, I want to say goodnight and do take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.